Chapter Thirteen of the Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter Thirteen. Piers Otway spent ten days in Yorkshire. His father was well, but more silent than ever, sunk in prophetic brooding. Mrs. Otway kept the wonted tenor of her life apprehensive for the purity of the Anglican Church, assailed by insidious papistry, and monologising at large to her inattentive husband upon the godlessness of his impenitent old age. "'Piers,' said the father one day, with a twinkle in his eye, "'I find myself growing a little deaf. Your stepmother is fond of saying that Providence sends blessings in disguise, and for once she seems to have hit upon a truth.' on a glorious night of stars he walked with his son up to the open moor a summer breeze whispered fitfully between the dark blue vault and the grey earth there was a sound of water that leapt from the bosom of the hills deep answering to deep infinite to infinite after standing silent for a while jerome otway laid a hand on his companion's shoulder and muttered the creeds the dogmas they had two or three long conversations most of his time piers spent in rambling alone about the moorland for health and for weariness when unoccupied he durst not be physically idle the passions that ever lurked to frenzy him could only be baffled at such times by vigorous exercise his cold bath in the early morning was followed by a play of dumbbells he had made a cult of physical soundness he looked anxiously at his lithe, well-moulded limbs. Feebleness and disease were the menaces of a supreme hope. Ideal love dwells not in the soul alone, but in every vein and nerve and muscle of a frame strung to perfect service. Would he win his heart's desire? Let him be worthy of it in body as in mind. He pursued to excess the point of cleanliness, with no touch of personal conceit, he excelled the perfumed exquisite in care for minute perfections. Not in costume. On that score he was indifferent, once the conditions of health fulfilled. His inherited tone was far from perfect. With rage he looked back upon those insensate years of study, which had weakened him just when he should have been carefully fortifying his constitution. Only by conflict daily renewed, did he keep in the way of safety a natural indolence had ever to be combated there was always the fear of relapse such as had befallen him now and again during his years in russia a relapse not alone in physical training but from the ideal of chastity he had cursed the temper of his blood he had raved at himself for vulgar gratifications and once more the struggle was renewed asceticism in diet had failed him doubly it reduced his power of wholesome exertion and caused a mental languor treacherous to his chief purpose nowadays he ate and drank like any other of the sons of men on the whole to his plain advantage a day or two after receiving a letter from mrs hannaford in which she told him of her removal to dr derwent's house he bade farewell to his father to his hotel in london that night came a note he had expected mrs hannaford asked him to call in bryanston square at eleven the next morning 
as he approached the house memory shamed him how he had slung about the square under his umbrella how he had turned away in black despair after that not at home his foolish long-tailed coat his glistening stove-pipe to-day with scarce a thought for his dress he looked merely what he was an educated man of average physique of intelligent visage of easy bearing for all that his heart throbbed as he stood at the door and with catching breath he followed the servant upstairs before mrs hannaford appeared he had time to glance around the drawing-room which was simpler in array than is common in such houses his eye fell upon a portrait a large crayon drawing hung in a place of honour he knew it must represent irene's mother there was a resemblance to the face which haunted him with more of sweetness with a riper humanity while his wife still lived dr derwent had not been able to afford a painting of her this drawing was done and well done in the after days from photographs on the wall beneath it was a little bracket supporting a little glass vessel which held a rose the year round this tiny altar never lacked its flower mrs hannaford entered her smile of greeting was not untroubled but seeing her for the first time somewhat ornately clad and with a suitable background piers was struck by the air of youth that animated her features he had always admired mrs hannaford had always liked her and as she took his hand in both her own he felt a warm response to her unfeigned kindliness well is it settled it is settled i go back to odessa remain with the firm for another six months and then make the great launch they laughed together both nervously piers eyes wandered and mrs hannaford as she sat down made an obvious effort to compose herself i didn't ask you the other day she began as if on a sudden thought whether you had seen either of your brothers piers shook his head smiling no alexander i hear is somewhere in the north doing provincial journalism daniel i believe he's in london but i'm not very likely to meet him don't you wish to asked the other lightly well i'm not very anxious daniel and i haven't a great interest in each other i'm afraid you haven't seen him lately no no mrs hannaford answered with an absent air oh, no not for a long time i have hoped to see an announcement of his book his book oh, i remember i fear we shall wait long for that oh but he really was working at it said mrs hannaford bending forward with a peculiar earnestness when he last spoke to me about it he said the material grew so on his hands and then there is the expense of publication oh such a volume really well illustrated must cost much to produce and the author would have to bear piers was smiling oddly she broke off and observed him as if the smile pained her let us have faith said otway daniel is a clever man no doubt and may do something yet mrs hannaford abruptly changed the subject returning to piers prospects they talked for half an hour the lady's eyes occasionally turning toward the door and otway sometimes losing himself as he glanced at the crayon portrait he was thinking of a reluctant withdrawal when the door opened he heard a soft rustle turned his head and rose it was irene 
irene in all the grace of her earlier day and with maturer beauty irene with her light step her bravely balanced head her smile of admirable courtesy her golden voice otway knew not what she said to him something frank cordial welcoming for an instant he had held her hand and felt its coolness thrill him to his heart of hearts he had bent before her mutely worshipping his brain was on fire with the old passion newly kindled he spoke he was beginning to converse the room grew real again he was aware once more of mrs hannaford's presence of a look she had fixed upon him a look half amused half compassionate he answered it with a courageous smile miss derwent was in her happiest mood impossible to be kinder and friendlier in that merry way of hers scarce having expected to meet her still keeping in his mind the anguish of that calamitous and shameful night three years ago when he had fled before her grave reproof piers beheld her and listened to her with such a sense of passionate gratitude that he feared lest some crazy word should escape him that irene remembered no look or word of hers suggested unless indeed the perfection of her kindness aimed at assuring him that the past was wholly past she made inquiry about his father's health she spoke of his life at odessa and was full of interest when he sketched his projects to crown all she said with her eyes smiling upon him my father would so like to know you could you dine with us one evening before you go piers declared his absolute freedom for a week to come suppose then we say thursday an old friend of ours will be with us whom you may like to meet she spoke a name which surprised and delighted him that of a scientific man known the world over piers went his way with raptures and high resolves singing at his heart for the rest of daytime it was enough to walk about the streets in sun and shower seeing a glorified london one exquisite presence obscuring every mean thing and throwing light upon all that was beautiful he did not reason with himself about irene's friendliness it had cast a spell upon him and he knew only his joy his worship three years of laborious exile were trifling in the balance had they been passed in sufferings ten times as great her smile would have paid for all fortunately he had a little business to transact in london on the two mornings that followed he was at his firm's house in the city making reports answering inquiries mainly about wool and hemp piers was erudite concerning russian wool and hemp he talked about it not like the ordinary business man but as a scholar might who had very thoroughly got up the subject his firm did not altogether approve this attitude of mind they thought it queer and would have smiled caustically had they known otway's purpose of starting as a merchant on his own account that he had not yet announced and would not do so until he had seen his swiss friend at odessa again the evening of the dinner arrived and again piers was rapt above himself nothing could have been more cordial than dr derwent's reception of him and he had but to look into the doctor's face to recognise a man worthy of reverence a man of genial wisdom of the largest humanity of the sanest mirth eustace derwent was present 
he behaved with exemplary good breeding remarking suavely that they had met before and betraying in no corner of his pleasant smile that that meeting had been other than delightful to both three guests arrived besides otway one of them the distinguished person whose name had impressed him a grizzled gentleman of bland brows and the simplest softest manner at table there was general conversation the mode of civilised beings his mind in a whirl at first otway presently found himself quite capable of taking part in the talk some one had told a story illustrative of superstition in english peasant folk and piers had only to draw upon his russian experiences for pursuit of the subject he told how in time of great drought he had known a corpse dug up from its grave by peasantry and thrown into a muddy pond a vigorous measure for the calling down of rain also how he had seen a priest submit to be dragged on his back across a turnip field that thereby a great crop might be secured these things interested the great man who sat opposite he beamed upon otway and sought from him further information regarding russia piers saw that irene had turned to him he held himself in command he spoke neither too much nor too little and as the things he knew were worth knowing his share in the talk made a very favourable impression in truth these three years had intellectually much advanced him it was at this time that he had begun to use the brief decisive turn of speech which afterwards became his habit a mode of utterance suggesting both mental resources and force of character later in the evening he found himself besides mrs hannaford in a corner of the drawing-room he had hoped to speak a little with miss derwent in semi-privacy but of that there seemed no chance enough that he had her so long before his eyes nor did he venture to speak of her to her aunt though with difficulty subduing the desire he knew that mrs hannaford understood what was in his mind and he felt pleased to have her for a silent confidante she not altogether at ease in this company was glad to talk to otway of everyday things she mentioned her daughter who was understood to be living elsewhere for the convenience of artistic studies i hope you'll be able to meet olga before you go she shuts herself up from us a great deal something like you used to do at yule remember oh i do only too well why mayn't i go and call on her mrs hannaford shook her head vaguely trying to smile she must have her own way like all artists if she succeeds she will come amongst us again i know that spirit said piers and perhaps it's the right one give her my good wishes they'll do no harm the image of olga hannaford was distinct before his mind's eye but did not touch his emotions he thought with little interest of her embarking on an artist's career and had small belief in her chance of success under the spell of irene he felt coldly critical toward all other women every image of feminine charm paled and grew remote when hers was actually before him and it would have cost a great effort of mind to assure himself that he had not felt precisely thus ever since the days at yule the truth was of course that though imagination could always restore irene's supremacy and constantly did so though his intellectual being never failed from allegiance to her 
his blood had been at the mercy of any face sufficiently alluring and so it would be again little as he could now believe it before he departed he had his wish of a few minutes talk with her the words exchanged were insignificant piers had nothing ready to his tongue but commonplace and miss derwent answered as became her as he left the room he suffered a flush of anger the natural revolt of every being who lives by emotion against the restraints of polite intercourse at such moments one feels the bonds wrought for themselves by civilised mankind commonly accepted without consciousness of voluntary or involuntary restraint in revolt he broke through these trammels of self-subduing nature saw himself free man before her free woman in some sphere of the unembarrassed impulse and uttered what was in him pleaded with all his life conquered by vital energy only when he had walked back to the hotel was he capable of remembering that irene in taking leave had spoken the kindest wishes for his future assuredly with more than the common hostess note dr derwent too had held his hand with a pleasant grip saying good things it was better than nothing and he felt humanly grateful amid the fire that tortured him in his room the sight of pen ink and paper was a sore temptation at odessa he had from time to time written what he thought poetry it was not quite that yet as verse not contemptible and now recalling to memory some favourite lines he asked himself whether he might venture to write them out and send them to miss derwent could he leave england this time without confessing himself to her faint hearts he mused over the proverb the thought of a laboured letter repelled him and perhaps her reply if she replied at all would be a blow scarce endurable in the offer of a copy of verses there is no undue presumption it is a consecrated form of homage it demands no immediate response but were they good enough these rhymes of his he would decide to-morrow his last day and as was his habit he read a little before sleeping in one of the half-dozen volumes which he had chosen for this journey it was les chants du crépuscule and thus the page sang l'histoire donc aimée car l'amour c'est la vie c'est tout ce qu'on regrette et tout ce qu'on envie quand on voit sa jeunesse au couchant décliné sans lui rien n'est complet sans lui rien ne rayonne la beauté c'est le front l'amour c'est la couronne l'histoire couronnée his own lines sounded a sad jingle he grew ashamed of them and in the weariness of his passions he fell asleep he had left till to-morrow the visit he owed to john jacks it was not pleasant the thought of calling at the house at queen's gate mrs jacks might have heard strange things about him on that mad evening three years ago yet in decency he must go perhaps too in self-interest and at the wonted hour he went fortunately for john jacks seemed unfeignedly glad to see him and talked with him in private for half an hour after the observances of the drawing-room where mrs jacks had been very sweetly proper and properly sweet in the library much more at his ease otway told what he had before him all the details of his commercial project it occurs to me said john jacks who was looking far from well 
and at times spoke with an effort, that I may be able to be of some use in this matter. I'll think about it, and uh, leave me your address. I shall probably write to you. And now, tell me all about your father. He's hale and hearty. Oh, in excellent health, I think, Piers replied cheerfully. Dante suffices him still. Odd that you should have come to-day. I don't know why I was thinking of your father all last night. I don't sleep very well just now. I thought of the old days a lifetime ago, and I said to myself that I'd write him a letter, and so I will, to-day, and in a month or two I shall see him. I'm a walking copy-book line, procrastination, nothing but putting off pleasures and duties these last years. I don't know how it is, but certainly I will go over to Hawes when I'm in Yorkshire, and I'll write to-day. Tell him I've seen you. Much better in spirits, Piers returned to the hotel. Yes, after all, he would copy out those verses of his and send them to Miss Derwent. They were not bad. They came from his heart, and they might speak to hers. Just his name at the end, no address. If she desired to write to him, she could easily learn his address from Mrs. Hannaford. He would send them. A telegram for you, sir, said the porter as he entered. Wondering, he opened it. Your father has suddenly died. Hope this will reach you in time. Emma Otway. For a minute or two the message was meaningless. He stood reading and re-reading the figures which indicated hour of dispatch and of delivery. Presently he asked for a railway guide, and with shaking hands, with agony of mental confusion, sought out the next train northward. There was just time to catch it, not time to pack his bag. He rushed out to the cab. End of chapter 13